I think things are a little bit better now, but those were definitely some of the, the, the challenges that we faced, even down to our appearance and, you know, not wearing dresses and things like that, that over time just kind of really started to, to, to seep in. Um, and we were able to actually call it what it was, whereas in the beginning it was just confusion, right? And it's full on anger in many, many cases. Welcome to Positive. Find us on Twitter at P-O-S-I, the number two I-V-E. This bi-weekly podcast is for active investors and founders just like you, focused on venture-scale positive impacts. I'm your host, Zeka Len, an angel investor in the private capital markets here in sunny SoCal. Today's guest is Andrea Perdomo, Network Catalyst for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at Techstars. She's calling in today from Denver. This show will include three sections. First, the Revelar story. Next, the authentic self. Last, Techstars Global DNI. Welcome to the show, Andrea. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. It's a pleasure to speak with you today, and uh, we were introduced from your former co-founder, Jackie Ross Amable. I will also say I'm a big fan of what Techstars is doing for the community. Can you give us a bit about yourself and what guided you to where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's definitely been um, a lot of a lot of points or, or paths along the way that led me to where I am uh, now. So a little, little background on me. Uh, so I'm originally from Colombia, uh, South America, and I moved here to the United States when I was uh, about six years old, um, grew up in North Carolina, and now have lived here in Denver, Colorado for the last eight years. <laughs> it's the longest I've ever lived anywhere. Um, I, yeah, a little, little background on me. There's, there's a lot there, but, but one of you know, I, I think one of the things that has kind of led me to to where I am today um, has very much just been following following my truth um, and and really letting like opportunities kind of guide me, right? And so um, when I when I moved to to Denver, Colorado, I actually. Uh, co-founded a company called Revelar with with Jackie, um, who you mentioned earlier, um, and and happy happy to go into that. So I'm very much I'm an entrepreneur. Um, I'm a fashion lover. That's kind of that's actually where my background was in fashion, um, and I I'm very passionate about creating positive social impact in the world. Um, so it's a little bit about me, kind of like quick version um, yeah. and happy to get into Revelar as well. Awesome. What inspired you to start the, the company and what problems did it solve? Yeah, so I'll give you a l little bit of backstory. Um, so we started Revelar back in 2013 officially. Um, my co-founder Jackie had been working on um, that idea for a while longer than that. Um, and it was actually her, her idea and, and inspired by her little sister. Um, so her little sister was actually sold to twice before the age of 17. Um, and Jackie had always wanted to be able to create a magic button is what we called it, right? A magic button that you could press to call for help. Um, and really thinking about it more in, in the sense of, you know, if, if she had had that, could um, could she have known that something was wrong or something happened? Um, so Jackie, actually, she was the first person that I met when I moved to Colorado. 
and we became instantly good friends. And she told me what what her idea was and kind of what had inspired her to to start thinking about creating this product. Um, Jackie was a teacher at the time. And like I mentioned, I was actually working for a fashion startup here in Denver. Um, interestingly enough, for, for very different inspiration for me, you know, this idea of having a magic button to call for help um, resonated from from my own experience is um, my like I mentioned, I'm originally from Colombia, and uh, the reason why we moved to the United States was because of safety and security reasons. My my yeah, my grandmother was actually kidnapped um, for about eight months, and we went a whole month without knowing where she was. Um, she's fine, and, and everything worked out. But you know, again, like how amazing would it have been to have known that something went wrong? Um, and so that's kind of the the inspiration for for Revelar. It was a we created a personal safety device um, that at the touch of a button would let your friends and family know um, that something was wrong and that you needed help. And so that's very different inspirations, um, but same same product to kind of solve for solve for that. So that was a very exciting exciting journey um, that ended for us back in 2018, losing track in no, 2017, like losing track of time. <laughs> It's, that's all good. I, I saw an interview that you gave uh, for Techstars sort of loosely outlining the experience moving from Colombia. And to me, um, I, I thought of my my own family who had um, immigrated as refugees from Iran back in the 1970s. And I thought about some of the the challenges that, that uh, they experienced integrating into the United States culture and such. And does that resonate with you in terms of how that experience was? Oh yeah, um, absolutely. I think I think it's super interesting, um, and you're 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 catching me in, in a good time because I've I've been really trying to explore my own identity, um, and part of that has actually been acknowledging um, my own experience as an immigrant, right? And and I think. Uh, the reason that your your question kind of really resonates with me, particularly now, is because I, I realized that we um, we went through a lot. My parents probably even more so, right? Moving to this country, they luckily they spoke a little bit of English, but had to learn. Um, you know, they were they were both architects in Colombia and had to um, pretty much like reinvent themselves here in the U.S. and figure out where they fit. And it's it's interesting because there's this idea, right, of the American dream. And I think we very much have been able to, to reach that point. My parents have their own business. Um, you know, we kind of started uh, living in, in really, really low-income neighborhoods in Charlotte when we first moved here. It was my myself and my three siblings. So there were six of us. Um, and I, I just have these memories of, you know, us, us trying to get by. Uh, like going to the grocery store with my mom and she only had like $40 to figure out how we bought groceries for the week. Um, right. And like asking for like, I really want this candy and not being able to get it. And it's just looking back at those experiences of the hardships that my parents faced and that I faced too. Right. Like even, even thinking about when I realized that I was different, um, was probably right around the time that we moved here. I actually specifically remember, uh, changing my name which has really oh really been yeah that, that I actually didn't 
didn't think about the the what that meant until oh, very recently. When you say change your name, uh, you, you, with your husband's name? No. So actually, when we moved to the U.S., um, and this is just kind of like a cultural thing, right? In the U.S., you pretty much, in, in a classroom setting, let's just say, you go by your first name. And so my first name is actually Maria. My middle name is Andrea, which is what I go by. And I specifically remember asking my teachers to call me Andrea because I had been bullied based on, I'm assuming, stereotypes, right, of being Maria with an accent, not being able to speak English. Like, I was facing a lot of, of ridicule. Um, and so I decided to change my name to Andrea. And so since then, I've completely just kind of disregarded or deleted the, the name Maria and I think until recently real really realizing like why did I do that right like was it a way for me to to fit into into this majority uh culture that we moved into I completely um, understand with the name Zeka every every single day I've had that experience in my life yeah yeah and so I've been trying to embrace that right and and actually um I think it takes a lot of courage to embrace your own identity and to and to realize that you that you are different. Um, you know, as a six-year-old, I didn't know any better. And I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to be put into this category. I'm, I'm so tired of people asking me really ignorant questions. Like, um, do you, you know, I would get ridiculous questions. Like, do you even have cars? Like, did you have shoes? Oh, and no. I'm like, yes, like Columbia is not, you know, I don't know what kind of, um, visions you have of what, what I used to, but it was not that. Right. And so, um, I think that was just my way of coping with those differences and, and in a way kind of doing code switch, right, of trying to blend in um, and trying to not stand out. Um, it's very different from where I am now, which I very much want to embrace my identity and I'm, I'm proud of being Colombian and I'm proud of being Latina, but it, it it's taken me time to to really acknowledge that and come to terms that I've been doing things like that since a very young age to try to fit in. Understood. Yeah, that that's really honest. With, uh, that's very honest of you, and I really appreciate you sharing that story. Back to Revelar. Can you tell me more about the experience um, tying into unconscious bias, which we we had we had um, outlined in the show? What are the, some of the biggest unexpected challenges you had with with the Revelar experience? Yeah. So um, that experience was was fantastic. Right. I, I learned I learned a lot. Um, part of, part of, I think what made it so interesting for me is I would say particularly coming from the fashion world, right? Where, um, it was, I, I very much felt like I was a part of it. Um, particularly, particularly just on like my experience with it. Um, but moving into the tech world was very different, um, and uh, predominantly, it's very male dominated um, for one. So that was that was, I think, one of the one of the pieces that I, I I didn't realize going into it until I stepped into a room or stepped into a conference and would look around and realize that we were sometimes the only women in the room. What happened, I think, particularly with Revelar, right, is you have two Latina women starting a hardware company. Um, we were quote unquote not your typical. Uh, tech founders, right? Um, and so I think we just encountered a lot of um, unconscious bias and honestly some um, some bias that wasn't unconscious and it wasn't oh. subtle. It was pretty obvious. Yikes. Um, and yeah, you just to kind of like 
you know, define unconscious bias for maybe some of the audience members that might not know what that means. It's, it's really learned stereotypes that you automatically or unintentionally ingrain and actually influence your behavior, right? And so um, in our case, we were two young Latino women starting a tech company in an industry where uh, we didn't fit the mold, right? Um, you have all these these stereotypes about particularly women, right? That you're um, accommodating, that you're emotional, that you're, um, and you're, you're not really expected to be self-confident. Um, it's, and then, you know, to, to actually be trying to make it in this industry, um, you know, we'll just say we, we were kind of, um, really challenging what we meant by a tech startup founder, right. And, and trying to change, change what that meant. Um, I think things are a little bit better now, but those were definitely some of the, the, the challenges that we faced, even down to our appearance and, you know, not wearing dresses and things like that, that over time just kind of really started to, to, to seep in. Um, and we were able to actually call it what it was, whereas in the beginning, it was just confusion, right? And then full on anger in many, many cases. Currently, I'm reading Rory Sutherland's book, Alchemy. It's a really good read on brand building. He talks about the biological evolution as a driver for self-deception, leading to greater survival of the less self-aware. Um, there's also a possible link by uh, bio biologists and other scientists in how stereotyping and discrimination survived in the past. In episode 10, I interviewed Dr. Katie Cook, a psychologist who shared more about the power of self-awareness in tech, and I recommend her book, The Psychology of Silicon Valley. In the pre-show, you mentioned personal empowerment as something meaningful to you. How does that relate to startups? Yeah, definitely. And I think it, it ties a little bit to, to what you were just saying, too, right? Um, and it, it, it's interesting that it's like it's, it's also... Um, about being confident, which I think you alluded to, right? Yeah. Um, and and it's it's been a journey, I would say, even personally for me, um, to to really acknowledge that even though I don't look or talk or act the way that um, we envision, like I mentioned, right, people in tech or whatever, um, I have embrace that so so even contrasting to my earlier experience of changing my name and trying to really um you know blend in really acknowledging that that the the best way for me to be confident is to be confident in myself um and to be confident in who i am um to be confident as a latina as a woman as um someone who is younger um at least when i was starting my company um you know, someone who is in, I don't, I don't really like to, to lead, um, aggressively. I, I like to, to lead transparently and with honesty and, and kindness. Um, those are all traits that even, not even, ex, even exclusive, right. Let's just take tech out of it. Um, that in, in leadership, we don't necessarily, um, see, right. And, and it took me a long time to figure out, okay, do I, in order to be a great leader, I have to be all these things, right? Like I have to be aggressive and I have to, um, you know, speak a certain way or have a different a way in which you carry yourself. And I just started to realize that that just isn't me. 
Um, and to try to pretend that that's me was actually more exhausting than actually exploring my own identity, loving myself, um, in a way that, that actually created more confidence, right? It's interesting. Yeah, back to self-compassion. That's definitely a a key, I believe, for sure. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's a journey, right? There's, there's moments where I'm in conversations and I think to myself, gosh, did I just say that that way? Because it's how I would do it, or am I saying it to please the person I'm talking to, who's in many cases in a, in a place of power, right? And so I think there's a lot of work to be done, and even for me personally, it's something that um, is, is a challenge that I, I'm, I'm facing right now, um, but I, I just decided, you know, even through, through Rebel R, and especially towards the end of that journey, um, that I if I'm going to lead or be, you know, leave any type of legacy in this world, I want to make sure that it's me. Like it is who I am. And it's something that, you know, either, either people will value or not, but I don't want to sacrifice not being my true self. Right. And actually, like I said, it's, it's like, it's brought up more confidence in me to, to embrace that um, and to bring my authentic self to, to what I do on a day to day to talks like this. Um, and it's hard. So just like also acknowledging that it's really difficult. You're doing a wonderful job. You really are. And and I think here to me, that's back to the um, the vulnerability component that that leaning into vulnerability with with sort of where you're you're highlighting the importance of self empowerment and being self compassionate via leaning into vulnerability. I, I think that that's that's definitely the right direction in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's scary, right? To be open and vulnerable. Like I, um, I've, I've definitely had to take some good looks at myself in the mirror, right, and say, "Oh wow, like the good, bad, and the ugly," right? Like I, I, there are there are things that that I'm not proud of, but you also have to acknowledge those with the same vulnerability. This may be sidetracking us a bit, but in the pursuit of understanding more about personal empowerment, I found this link to. Um, trendwatching.com which works for all these very large corporations they look at new aspects of sort of psychology and brand and etc and try to make reports and such about it i fell on the the topic of truthful consumerism with personal empowerment at the middle of this new trend Um, and they broke it down into four different components which are aspiration tolerance transparency and positive impact and i thought to some degree how that's interesting that that these new waves of psychology are are building sort of a whole new genre of business and i think your business in itself being more of a social impact aligned business were, was on the forefront of this 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 trend um, i'm calling it social and sustainable tech <laughs> I, I like it i want to break out into the authentic self section too um we spoke about burnout from the founder experience and can you tell us more about that experience and how founders can leapfrog past something like that yeah yeah definitely and i think it it does very very much tie into um yeah what i was what i was saying a little bit earlier too about just being your authentic self right so um so so burnout and i i would say just um mental health in general for entrepreneurs is something that um, one, we don't talk about enough. Um, and then two, we, we haven't done a good enough job, I would say, as a society um, to make it something that's acceptable, right? And so I, I personally, as a founder, 
struggled with with a lot of um, burnout. I would say, you know, speaking to, to mental health, I think there were definitely moments for me where I was, whether I was depressed or going into depression. Um, and a lot of it is because, you know, as entrepreneurs, we are a different breed. Uh, we will we will work really hard. I think uh, we're we're definitely workaholics. We're passionate. We're very driven, and those are all the qualities that you need to start a company. But it can also backfire if you don't take care of yourself, which is exactly what happened to me. So, you know, there's a lot of anxieties and, and real life stress that comes from running a company, right? One is for us, we're we're constantly we were constantly trying to fundraise to make sure that our company could keep going, that our team could keep going, that we could keep our team's salaries, right? That was all incredibly stressful to realize that you have 26 individuals that are counting on you for their careers and their families and their kids. Um, On top of that, right, you have stakeholders and, and leaders that you're held accountable to, whether it's your investors or your board of directors, Um, or your team internally, right? And there are also expectations that we have for those leaders of those businesses to perform in ways that in many cases I think can be unreasonable, right? So like to grow 10x, 20x in a year. Um, While companies have done that, it, it it is incredibly challenging to do so and you almost need like the perfect recipe to do that. Um, So those were all kind of like external things. I think in, like you were mentioning, right, the social and sustainable tech, uh, Revelar was definitely in that realm. And so on top of all of the, the different stresses and stress, stress, stressors that I just mentioned, um, there were also, there was also this feeling of our product as a personal safety product was saving the world. Right. Like we were saving people's lives, whether it was from assault or, um, you know, from being able to walk safely in their neighborhood like that was also really heavy, a heavy yeah. weight to carry. I imagine. Um, and, and so for our customers, right, like people who opened up to us about surviving um, certain situations, like I was always thinking about them and like, gosh, like what email can I send? What can I do? What, what strategies or uh, partnerships can I create to move this forward to help them to help our team? And that that can cause a lot of anxiety. Um, And I think for me, the way that I addressed it back then was just to work more and to, you know, continue to just work into the night. Um, And realizing now, and even in very several moments during my journey there, that that wasn't healthy. And I was doing a very poor job of helping all those people that I just mentioned because I wasn't taking care of myself. And it took a couple moments that were pretty scary, um, including my my husband, who has always been there for me, uh, who looked at me one day and said, you're not well, like you are literally being sucked into your computer and you're not here. Um, I was I was physically present, but mentally I was always somewhere else. And. I, I don't think that those feelings are exclusive to me as a founder. I've talked to several other entrepreneurs that um, are going through the same same challenges, and we don't talk about it enough, right? So anytime I get the opportunity to mentor a founder, that's the first thing that I talk about is, well, how are you taking care of yourself, right? We can get into your business plan, and we can get into your pitch deck, and 
um, all these other things that matter. But before you can jump into that, you have to be well. You have to be in the right mindset. You have to be, uh, you know, capable of, of taking the stress that is coming towards you and, and knowing how to stop, take a breath, and take care of yourself. Um, but yeah, it was a it was a very daunting experience. I've I've learned a lot and have now learned how to cope with with those moments where I'm starting to feel burnout. Um, there's definitely a lot of mechanisms and and things that I do that work for me. Um, that I always encourage people to kind of figure out what that is for them and, and, and not, not be shy about acknowledging that this is something that, that you struggle with. Um, I think that's, that's kind of step one. I appreciate that you're mentioning emotional um, and mental health as something that is personal and personalized to that degree. And I think, I think that makes a strong case for having more supportive founders in a kind of one-on-one safe environment where they feel that they can open up and, and be okay with their own personal uh, situation, which may have something to do with identity or something to do with uh, relationships within the organization, etc. One of my favorite books in the past few years, which I read before uh, learning about Techstars, was Give and Take by Adam Grant. It talks about otherish givers, givers, matchers, and takers. The otherish givers or the so-called strategic givers uh, building the longest, most successful careers and relationships. There was a discussion of giver burnout in the book, um, and also one of Techstars co-founder, Techstars co-founders, Brad Feld, seemed to point to overgiving and exhaustion, uh, similar to what you were mentioning, as an inspiration point for the give first principle in Techstars. I'd like us to move into the third section and uh, with kind of the consideration of the give first mindset um, and your own personal experience. I'd like to understand um, how Techstars integrates this how it affects you in your daily life and how you, how, how you help founders with that mindset. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great tie in. And I, um, I, I, I actually wrote down, I bought give and take since you and I talked about it. So I'm excited to, to read that. Um, so, so yes, there's, it's one of the, the core values uh, here at Techstars is to, to give first. And what that really means is to, to give not just to entrepreneurs, but to your community uh, to, to make this world better without expecting anything in return. Um, and I, you know, I can attest to having talked to, to several folks outside of Techstars that have felt that come to life when they interact with our network. So we are very much out to, to help um, expect nothing in return, but rather just to just to support any way we can. You know, with that also comes, like you were saying, uh, there's definitely some some give first fatigue that can happen. Get, and, give or burn out to some degree. It sounds like. Yes, exactly. And you know, part of part of what I've learned too, as as someone who um, probably tends to do that very often, is that you know, while, while giving is super important and it's something that I will never stop doing, um, there is something to be said about setting boundaries, boundaries for yourself. indeed. Yeah, right. So it's not to say that you're not going to help that individual make a connection, but maybe it doesn't have to happen today, right? It could happen next week when you have more time, right? Like there are, there are things that you can do. There are also ways in which at least 
something that I've I've been doing in my in my current role at TechStars that I can speak to a little bit is re- I've realized that a lot of what people come to me for help is uh, is very much about diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? Like how to embed that into your organization, or you know they want connections or, or in many cases for me to facilitate sessions and those are all things that I'm willing and able to do um, but also how do I carve that into into my my role at Techstars right like how can I actually make that something that I do um, and and so that's been that's been really healthy for me to embed it directly into my work um, but but yeah setting boundaries right like sometimes I will say um, I won't say no but I'll say maybe later um, or, or I'll sometimes reach out to people internally who do have more time, um, who can help. So that's one thing that I will never do is leave anybody hanging. Um, but, but there is, there is a, a way to kind of move yourself through that journey where you can still be a giver, um, but also taking care of yourself. Right. So I think boundaries are really important in that sense. There's a, there's an American, what is it kind of? Uh, expression, which is tough love. Does that resonate with you? This kind of mix between strategic time allocation, help, boundary setting, and sort of deep care for individuals? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, I think, I think tough love, we actually internally at Techstars also talk about radical candor, right, of sometimes the way to help and be the most helpful is to be very truthful and honest. Um, and so I, I very much try to practice that, right. Of, of there's, there, that is also helpful. I think sometimes we put that into a category of like, oh, that's just, that's just rude or it's hurtful. But I, I think it's helpful to, to be in some cases told the things you don't want to, you don't want to hear. Um, I know at least in my experience, that's actually what made me a better entrepreneur and what's made me better at my job today is being uh told the truth from a place of of care right um and and it makes you stronger and it makes you better and so i think there's an opportunity for us to change the mindset of what that means um and embrace it and and know that when someone is being honest with you it comes from a place of love and it comes from a a place of passion and compassion um and, and, and yeah, that in some cases is actually the hardest way to give first, right, is, is honest and blunt feedback. Yeah, it, it makes for, it goes back to vulnerability, I imagine, for the person giving the constructive criticism. There's that aspect that you may get judged or you may come off as too aggressive or too, too honest or something like that. How do you deal with that in situations where you're coaching founders to build inclusive teams? I do that in a, in a wide variety of ways. So like I mentioned earlier, like my approach is, is probably a little bit different because I think that what you just said, the tough love really resonates with me. Right? Sure. So I definitely, um, I think there's a way to, to be blunt and honest um, without, without it sounding aggressive. And it, that, that works for some people. It just doesn't work for me. Um, and so I, my approach is, is always, um, leading with examples, I, I think see. particularly particularly around embedding diversity, equity, and inclusion into 
your startup or your company at an early stage, I can draw from my own personal experiences of what's worked, what hasn't worked. And I think acknowledging what hasn't worked is actually in some cases the most helpful. I think you can be direct without, um, like I said, like sounding too aggressive. And so that's just how, how I approach things. And many would probably disagree that's at least where where I stand. Ray Dalio, a hedge fund manager, in his fund, um, there's a book that he wrote, I can't recall the name right now. There's a book about how they apply candor in their organization. And they have, they've constructed this whole system of principles that, that are kind of like a, a way to um, assess whether or not someone's behavior or actions are in line with the organization's principles. And all those principles are kind of driven by this feedback mechanism that align with the core values of the organization. I guess, oh, here's another thing. What about core values? Is that something that Techstars has started to explore in terms of helping organizations discover their core values and how it may tie into the mission and the vision? Yeah, it's a good question. So we um, we, we definitely have some curriculum built around culture uh, for our accelerators. So um, for those that maybe aren't too familiar with Techstars, uh, we we run a wide variety of programs, uh, but we're really our our main vision is just to help and support entrepreneurs succeed. And so, one of the programs that we have is our accelerator three month mentor driven program. And within that, there's there's multiple uh, sessions and curriculum around culture right and building building your team and and what it what it really means to kind of set your your vision values uh and so there there is a lot of guidance that happens there but but interestingly enough right at least from from my view your culture is something that is living and breathing and so even though you want to have the right foundation in place to support it, it is something that evolves and grows. And for, for anyone who's even looking for some brief advice, like, you know, getting your your employees and, and your your stakeholders and everybody involved in that process is, is the best way to approach it, right? Because similar to kind of like a product design, if you can get input from your customers, the output is going to be better. And so culture is no different. If you can get the input from the people who are living and breathing and really living that culture when in work and outside of work, it's important to have those individuals included and feel like they have a voice and and what that means and how that looks. So yeah, we definitely touch on that. And I think it's, it's really important, especially when we're looking at diversity, equity, and inclusion as a value of an organization. How do you embed those those things into your organization from day one, where it's, it's, I don't even want to say easier, but it is a better place to start so that you have that foundation to grow off of versus later stage companies where it's a little bit harder to go back in and redo everything and really unlearn things that maybe you've been doing wrong from day one. Yes, that I think you're, you're definitely a on track with with that that view i I would actually be interested to to learn about um sort of the data behind culture and culture and diversity and inclusion and how some companies that may not accept certain elements of that early on have done worse on a financial performance basis i i intuitively think it's absolutely true it must be that way um i would actually even challenge you and techstars to 
to try to tie that into maybe a, a public discussion or something to share to share outwardly. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I love that idea. Fantastic. I really just have I've tremendously enjoyed this conversation, and um, I guess I'd like to maybe ask an open-ended question to you before I let you go. Um, what is it? What is it right now that that you think is a most critical um, component in terms of building that healthy? Um, culture in an organization from day one that founders really should be paying attention to? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I love it. Uh, so I would say there's there's two things. And, and to your earlier point, all, everything that we do to create a more diverse, equitable, and inclusive workplace should be a part of not just your culture, but your strategy as an organization. So that is always one thing that I think gets gets is missing in many cases, right? Is it's not a checkbox like you can you can recruit diversity, but if your culture is not inclusive or you don't have equitable processes and systems in place, it's not going to work. And so, how do you really, if that's something that really matters to you, how can you embed that into your company's strategy, just like you would for a marketing campaign or a sales goal or, um, you know, launching a new product, right? Like how do we start to look at this, this space and this work with that level of, of importance? And, and that would be my, my number one recommendation, right? Is, is figuring out not just how to do that, but to your point, there's a lot of, benefits that can come from, you know, not just hiring, um, but like your cost of retention of employees, uh, in many cases, right? Like your consumers, like you were just talking about social and sustainable tech. If, if this is something that really matters to you, be proud and, and show that to the world. And, um, in many cases it can also help drive revenue. And so, when you start to really look at that space as something that's really ingrained and embedded into everything that you do, that's when I've seen it be the most successful. And I, I think, you know, Revelar is a perfect example of that. We, my co-founder Jackie and I were very intentional from day one of making sure that our culture was inclusive, that it was welcoming, that anybody had an equitable uh, opportunity to not just join our team, but even on the side of our product that had access to our technology. And because we focus on those things, diversity kind of just became a natural part of everything that we did and who we became. Um, but that was very intentional. And we, we wanted to make sure that that was something that was important to not just us, but to our board and to our investors. And so that would be what I would challenge, challenge folks with is, is how, how are you truly embedding this into your company, your product, your culture, and, and how, how you measure and uh, really prioritize it from, from a leadership standpoint. Thank you so much for your personal recommendation and your, your help for new founders and founders who want to build a more inclusive culture. I mean, I, I feel as though it's like speaking with uh, the world expert here. Um, so thank you again. Oh, that's too kind. Thank you. And, and how can people engage with your work and Techstars in general going forward? 
Yeah, so um, we we are everywhere. We are on Twitter and LinkedIn and Instagram and all the things. Um, so definitely follow us. Um, we we have also been doing uh, weekly webinars and educational sessions that are live on our website. Uh, so definitely sign up for those and. You know, for, for anybody who's just learning or, or wants to become an entrepreneur, we also have an entrepreneurship toolkit that is a fantastic way to get started. Um, and then as far as me personally, you can also follow me on, on all the things. Um, probably most active on Instagram and Twitter. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me.